Hi, my name is Ted Mitchell. I am the worship director for Wilkinsburg. I've been there now for two years. Uh, and I grew up in the church. And uh, all my brothers are musicians and singers. My, both my parents were musicians and singers and the pastors. So um, I grew up, you know, hoping my desire, you know, from my desire was to have my kids and my wife all in ministry together because that was my example. So community means common unity. And so I feel like, you know, if you can give someone an encouraging word um, to be that brother or sister this week, to be that man or woman, to be that father, to be that husband, to be that wife, to be that child, to be that neighbor, sometimes you can interject some things into someone's life and you can just say, hey, God hears you, God sees you, God's desire for you is this and that. And so hold up that banner of righteousness to say, Lord, I'll, I'll serve you on all my mistakes. I know I'm not perfect, but if I can be a person um, in my church, in my community to represent your name um, for righteousness sake, you know, empower me and strengthen me to be that person. So I love what Ted says about community, right? Common unity. Our commonalities are not because we come from the same background, because we come from the same demographic area. Our commonalities are not because we have common personalities. Our commonality is one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. And we come at the foot of the cross, and we come to demonstrate out of our reverence for him and our love for him, we come to do this thing called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We come to do community together to make an impact with this community that he has left. And he said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And when the church is working right, there is nothing like it. We're supporting each other. We're encouraging each other, as Ted said. We, we, are, we are protecting each other. We are nourishing each other. We are exhorting each other. Sometimes we're confronting each other in a loving way, in a gentle way, always for the purpose of restoration. That confrontation is not a gotcha, not a holier than thou. It's I love you so much that I am going to help you get back on the track. I talked to a, a couple after the service today and uh, they had gone through some time and actually uh, they had gone through a divorce and now they're getting remarried. It's a very cool story. And this, the man told me about a friend of his who was on him and didn't let him walk away from his commitment to his wife and the church. That's the type of loving, gentle confrontation we're talking about to get a person back on the road. The church, when it's working right, there's nothing like it, but we've been very upfront in this series that the church doesn't always work right. We've all experienced that, right? Sometimes we hurt each other. Sometimes we don't protect each other. Sometimes someone strays and we let them go. Sometimes we just flat drop the ball. We let people fall through the cracks. Our words hurt. Sometimes there are unmet expectations. Sometimes there are unreal, unrealistic expectations. Sometimes we have part of the church that says, this is all about me. 
my needs, what I want, like a, like a smorgasbord. I'll pick and choose what I want. I don't want to give anything back. It's all about me. And so are these challenges to community. There, there are really three, if, if we put all the challenges together, they would fall in one of three categories. Let, let, let's think about that. The first category, let me just write them down and we'll talk through them. The first category would be the world. The next category would be the flesh. And the next category would be the devil, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three battlefronts that we have. When we think of the world, we're talking about the culture around us. We're talking about how the world lives. And the church has always been counter-cultural. If you want a good picture of the world, if you want to see what the world's about, if you want a good definition of the world, just what, when you're watching the game today at one o'clock, one o'clock, um, <laughs> when you're watching the game, just analyze the commercials. By the way, I was on a plane yesterday with a plane full of Oakland Raider fans. They are weird people. We went through a lot of weather and that plane was bumping all over the place, but that was not what concerned me. It was setting by these Oakland Raider fans. But anyway, that's an aside. What I was talking about was today when you watch the commercials of the game, you will get a good idea of what the world says. Eating wings with friends, watching football. Man, that's what life's about. car you drive. That's what makes you significant. The retirement fund you need because life is all about making certain you are good for retirement so you can just live how you want the rest of your days. Every commercial, not every, most will be laced with sex, innuendos, sometimes just right out in vulgar, that's the world. You say, I don't have to worry about that. I have the NFL network. I just go from game to game. And that's another problem. <laughs> so we have this going on around us. We got the world, right? We live in the world. And it impacts us. We are to penetrate the world, but sometimes the world penetrates us. And when it penetrates us and we make up the church, it penetrates the church. Here's the second one, the flesh. That's not about the world, that's about me. When I become a Christian, when I trust in Christ as the only way to have a relationship with the living God, my penalty of sin is paid for. Jesus paid it all. My propensity to sin, my inclinations to sin will continue. Our sin nature is not eradicated when we become a Christian. Our sin nature stays there. We'll be tempted, we'll give in to temptations. We will sin and every one of us has an inclination toward a certain sin. You have yours and I have mine. I don't know why that is. I don't know what gives us that inclination to that certain sin, but it will dog us. It will try to trip us up. We think we're over it. We think we have dulled it and we can do that. We can dull it with obedience, but then it comes back. And we think, how did that come back so fast? The world, the flesh, and what else? The devil. He's real, 
and he's powerful, and he desires to destroy you and me, and he desires to destroy the church. He is not all-knowing, but he's a student of human nature. And he knows what trips you up, generally and specifically. Now, I am not a person who sees the devil behind every issue. I mean, some people, when their car breaks down, there's the, the demon of the clogged carburetor or something like that, right? That's not me. My carburetor just doesn't work anymore. But yet, we can't deny, nor should we deny, and sometimes we don't talk enough about Satan's desire to see us fall. Every one of us in here, every one of us in here, most of us in here know of a church that at one time was going great guns. That church was making an impact for Jesus Christ. And today it is a shell of what it was if it exists at all. When Laura and I were going through seminary, we, were, we went to this tremendous church in North Dallas, and it was a fantastic church. We got there when it was kind of small, and we saw it grow. The pastor was, was fantastic. He was dynamite. He uh, was my mentor. I, 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 man, I latched on to that guy. He took me under his wing, and he taught me so much. I wanted to be like him. That church was, was doing ministry. It was doing evangelism. We would meet with him on, uh, on Friday mornings, and, and he, would, he would mentor us and teach us and disciples. Fantastic time there. Today, because of an immorality, of immorality, and because of power plays by the leaders, you go to North Dallas and look at the church, it doesn't exist anymore. It's not even there. And all of us know of those situations. And if we think for one minute that someone looking back 10 years or 15 or 20 years from now or 30 years from now could say, I used to go to the Bible chapel. They had these campuses out in Robinson, Wilkinsburg, and Washington. It doesn't exist anymore. It's a shell of what it used to be. If we don't think that can happen to us, then we need to take a hard look at Scripture. And we need to make sure we do the things that we need to do to be the church we need to be. And it all starts with this hard, messy work of community. So we have the world. We have the flesh. And we have the devil. And they all intersect each other. And the devil will use the world and he'll use the flesh to trip us up. He'll use the things that are most tempting to us to trip us up. We have an enemy, and we need to be prepared to do battle. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul's first three chapters in Ephesians are theology. He's drilling down the things you need to know about who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is and how they work in our life. In the last three chapters, he's saying, this is how it works in real life. Last time we talked about how it works in the marriage relationship. Now Paul says this in chapter six, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord's mighty power. You're, not a, you're no match for Satan on your own. You can't do this, any of the Christian life on your own, but you can have strength in who? In God's mighty power 
power. And then Paul says in verse 11, it's God who gives you the power. It's him who works in you. And then we have this responsibility. Look at verse 11, put on the full armor of God. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. God will give us everything we need. He, uh, he gives us the armor. He lays it out for us. And he says, I'll even help you put it on, but you have to put it on. You put on the full armor of God. Why would I need to do that? so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This real being, this created being who is out to get us. For our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood. We're not the enemy. But against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, was pastor in England in the 50s, 60s, and he said this. He said, I am certain that one of the main causes for the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All of us, all is attributed to us. We have all become so psychological in our attitude and our thinking. We are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. Look again at verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. And because of that, Paul says in verse 13, therefore, because of what you know you're up against, acknowledge it accept it, embrace the enemy. Therefore, what do you do? He repeats what he said in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that when the, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and having done everything to stand. I love what Paul's saying there. Here's the picture. A person going out in the battlefield so that when the day comes, when the enemy comes, when the battle comes, when you are against the enemy, when you're in the fight, that you will be standing. And when the last arrow is shot, when the last bullet is fired, when the smoke clears from the battlefield, guess what? You're still there standing, dressed in the armor of God. Our responsibility to put it on, let's see what it is. What is the armor of God that we need to put on? Number one is the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand firm then, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now in those days, it was the custom to wear a kind of a long uh, gown. Uh, it was for the heat of the day. It was for uh, uh, the, uh, to get warm at night. It was used for a blanket. But when you're in battle, you don't want to be cumbered by a long gown. How many of you have ever tried to run in a long gown? I have not, just in case anyone was wondering, but it sure looks hard to do, right? And so what they would do is take the gown and they'd pull it up, they'd buckle it all around them, and then they got their leather belt and they buckled it around them so that they could be unencumbered, so that they could move with fluidity, so that nothing tripped them up. Our belt is not made of leather, it is the belt of what? The belt of truth. 
And that truth comes from the word of God. That is why we are so adamant that everyone here goes through living grounded, embracing the essentials of the Christian faith. You got to know what you believe and you got to know why you believe it. And that's on you. You got to know who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, what the church is, how this Christian life works. That's the truth of scripture. And you got to have it buckled around you. If you do not nail down the truth, then you're going to be running in a tight gown. You can't take the steps you need to take. You're going to fall. You're going to trip. You're going to be encumbered. You've got to be buckled with the belt of truth. And we as a church, even when it is unpopular, even when it's countercultural, we can never compromise the truth. As soon as we do, we will be a shell of what we used to be. We learned this week, talking to some people, that there are only about 25% of churches that will embrace the pro-life ministries. Seriously. We learned this week, talking to a guy in a large church in the South. God's blessed that church for many years. They, they have been a beacon of light uh, in, in uh, evangelical churches. And they still do church discipline, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, for, for restoration. And he said, we're known in our community as the church that kicks people out. How many churches are backing down on the marriage issue? When you don't stand for the truth, you have nothing to say. And we as a church need to have the buckle of truth tightly around us. And we as a church do that when each person has the belt of truth buckled around them. If you haven't gone to a living ground to do that, if you're not in God's word, do that. Learn what you believe and why you believe. We will give you the resources you need, but you got to get that done. Second piece of equipment essential for this battle that we're in, and we are in a battle, is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was part of the soldier's equipment to protect the vital organs. It was made of metal from the neck down to the waist. It's called a breastplate, but it also covered the back to protect the vital organs. And Paul says here that we don't have a breastplate of metal. We have a breastplate of righteousness. Let's think about what that means. Two things. Think about your position, believers, and your practice. Number one is our position. So when we trust in Christ, we realize that we can't do anything. We cannot work our way to God. It's about Jesus and nothing else. Jesus plus nothing. He died for us on the cross. And so when we, when we come to Christ, we trust in him as the one who paid our penalty of sin on the cross. And when we do, God says, not guilty. I've taken your sin and I put the judgment on my son who died for your sin on the cross. And also I'm taking the righteousness of Christ and I am putting it on you. You are now positionally righteous. Nothing can change that. You are in a righteous position. That's the position of righteousness, but there's also the practice of righteousness. And the practice of righteousness is living righteously, living in a right way, living in obedience. And that's day to day and that's moment by moment. And we have to be into the practice of righteousness. 
We have to have the breastplate of righteousness around us. We need to make sure that we are obeying God's word, which presumes that we are in God's word in the first place so that we can know what we should obey. We have to make sure we are standing for the truth. We have to make sure that those things that trip us up and in our flesh, we have those things that are, that are, that are, that are always trip us up. We have to make sure that we build defenses against them. We have to make sure we have a battle strategy against them. We have to make sure we have other people around us helping keep us accountable that we are keeping our strategy. We have to have on the breastplate of righteousness. Here's the next one, feet fitted for readiness. Verse 15, feet fitted for readiness that comes from what? The gospel of peace. The Roman soldier wore a boot, a leather boot, and it had um, laces, kind of ornamental laces that went up uh, the calf. And on the bottom of that boot were, were studs. So that as that soldier was taking his ground in a muddy field, he would have some traction, just like football cleats today, right? So Paul says, our readiness is not studded leather boots, but it's the gospel of peace. The gospel, the good news of Jesus that has given us peace with God. You see, when we have that good news, we are in Christ. We are protected by him. He's the one who is driving us. He's the one we're looking for. He is the one who helps us in every battle. And in Christ, we're safe. Two S's, right? We're significant. We don't have to look to the world to give us significance. The world says more money, more power, better position, bigger car, bigger house, bigger retirement. That's what makes you significant. Christ says, seriously? You're going to leave it all here when you die? You don't pack it with you in your coffin? Your significance comes from me, not your appearance. Your security comes from me, not your retirement fund, not the things around you. Your acceptance comes from me. I have accepted you as my child, and you will always be my child. I'll never kick you out of my family. You are accepted in my family. You're forgiven. What you did yesterday can be forgiven, so you don't carry that guilt today. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to, that's written to believers, by the way. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you are here today as a believer with guilt, it's because you haven't asked for God's forgiveness or you haven't believed he's forgiven you or you haven't gone to the people you've hurt and you haven't made sure that your forgiveness is clean and clear with others. But Jesus Christ is the one who brings forgiveness into the heart and he empowers us, significant, secure, accepted, forgiven, empowered. As believers, we have everything we need to do what God's called us to do. We have the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead to live within us. Shield of faith is the next one. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Shield in that day, they held. It couldn't be too heavy or they couldn't hold it. So it protected them from about here to here. It was made of wooden. It was made of wood. It had a, a linen cloth over it and then leather over that. And it had iron that kind of went around it that, that, that kept all that together. 
in those days. They would take arrows and they would dip the point of the arrow in pitch or tar. They would light them on fire and they would shoot them. And you better have your shield because that shield is what stopped the arrows. Paul says here, you've got to have your shield of faith on, which can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. When the fire went into the leather, it would be extinguished. Now, what are some of the arrows that Satan shoots at us? Well, sometimes it's just our physical appetite, isn't it? Lost of the eyes, lost of the heart. Sometimes he doesn't have to work real hard. Arrows of personal gain. That's what the world says. Arrows of power, arrows of possession or pride or envy or selfish ambition. Here's one that will put a lot of Christians out of commission. Put them on the sidelines. The arrow of an unwillingness to forgive. Because that arrow sticks in our heart. It causes our heart to burn with bitterness and envy and pride. And if you're unwilling to forgive another person, then you're sidelined. That's why we're told, forgive others just as what? God in Christ has forgiven you. Aren't you glad God forgives us? Then we forgive others. That's the way it works. How foolish is it? How prideful is it? How ridiculous is it for us to say, God, forgive me, but I'm unwilling to forgive this person. Arrow of doubt. Anyone here have doubts? Talked to a guy last night going through a tough time. He's been a Christian for a long time. I've seen some tremendous things in my life, but I am going through a difficult time and I'm having some doubts. Sometimes we go through those challenging times and we wonder, is God with us? Has he left us? Any of you ever, I don't know where, where you've been, maybe even driving down a road, bed at night or whatever, and you start to think, is, is this really true? Trusting in a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago, that's going to put me in a relationship with God and I'm going to live forever. Wait a second. Anyone else ever had that thought? Okay, come on, just me, right? (laughs) That's why Paul says, put on the shield of faith. See, the faith is our trust and confidence in the promises of God. And we think back, okay, Jesus was a man who lived in history. Secular writing says that. Jesus was a man who died on a cross. Secular writing says that. Jesus was a man who rose from the dead. Paul says at one time there were 500 witnesses at one time and then all these other people. And then Jesus is a man who transformed these disciples who were cowering in a, in, in a room and, and allowed them to change the world. And then he changed my life. And I've seen him change other people's life. And I've seen him do some some tremendous things, tremendous power of transformation. No, he is real. I cling to the promises of God. Proverbs says this, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So in times of, of doubt, faith clings to the promises of God, right? In times of temptation, faith claims, clings to the power of God. 
but I got to have my shield of faith on. And I got to have it up and I got to have it ready. Helmet of salvation is the next one. Helmet made out of bronze or iron lined inside with felt or sponge so that it would fit on the soldier's head. Nothing short of an ax could pierce it. Our salvation, our helmet is not made out of metal. It is our salvation. It is the fact that we know. It's on our head, right? We know beyond any doubt that we belong to Jesus Christ. We have been saved from the old life and the old ways and the old road that led to hell. We have been saved. That is our salvation. That is not only present, we not only live in that every day, but that is our future. We know the moment we close our eyes in death, we'll wake up and see Christ face to face. Do you believe that? Do you know that for sure? That's a question you need to know. You know that? If you die right now, God forbid, right now, would you wake up and see Christ face to face? I lived a good part of my life not knowing that. I trusted in Christ. I was at a church, though, that, that did not teach that. They taught you could lose your salvation. And I got to tell you, that is one tough way to live. So I could be a Christian in the morning, headed to heaven, sin at noon, die in the afternoon, and go to hell. Now, now, Try to take that theology and form a picture of who God is. And I'll never forget, I will never forget the day that I learned that truth and I accepted that truth. And I'm not kidding you, it was like a, a burden had been taken off of my shoulders. I was a child of God and I knew I would forever be. His love for me was perfect. It was unconditional. I was his child. He's not going to kick me out of his family. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give, etern- I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Nothing can snatch us out of God's hand. And then someone says, well, nothing can snatch us out, but I can jump out. No, you cannot jump out. You are there. He has you. You are in his grasp. He will not let you go. That's the helmet of salvation that we wear. There's one more weapon. It's the sword of the spirit. Look at verse 17, the last part of the verse. Helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. Our only offensive weapon The only offensive weapon that we have is the word of God. Think about that. When Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter four, what did he do to address the temptation? It is written. Some people say, well, I'm just gonna rebuke Satan. Really? Who are you to rebuke Satan? I guarantee you, he will whip you every time. Not even Jesus went against Satan without using the word of God. Jude chapter one says this, speaking about Satan, but even the archangel Michael did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. I got someone else who stands by me. 
the God of angel armies. Let him rebuke you, not me. And Jesus said, it is written. Now that means the only offensive weapon we have is the word of God. That's why we have to read it every day. Would a soldier even think about going into battle without weapons? Now I'm going to send you into battle today. That's the good news, soldiers, because I know you like to fight. The bad news is no weapons. It's ridiculous. You know, how many Christians will walk out their front door every morning thinking more about business than the battle they're in, spiritual battle they're in, without their sword. Raiders, Steelers, right? One o'clock. You've got plenty of time. Don't worry. So you turn on the game, and you look on the field, and none of the Steelers have their uniforms on. No helmet, no shoulder pads, no thigh pads, no rib pads. They are out there in their shorts and under armor. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Totally ridiculous. What player would ever step on the field without his entire uniform on? You know what else is more ridiculous, don't you? A believer that would step into the day without his or her uniform on. God has given us everything we need to do everything he's called us to do. He empowers us and he allows us to partner with him. And he tells us, all the armor's laying out. I've, I provided you all the armor. But you got to put it on. You got to step up and put it on. You're in a battle. Battle is not against anyone in this room. The battle is against Satan himself. And he desires to whip you. He desires your testimony to be flat. He desires your marriage to break up. He desires to use his tools of the world and your flesh to render you ineffective. He desires to do that in the church as well. Because Satan would want nothing more than 15 years from now, someone saying, the Bible chapel used to be there. Now, now I don't know. I think they sold the building to a business or, some, or school or something. If you don't think you can fall. What scripture say? Be careful if you think you're standing, right? Because you're ready for a fall. That's why you buckle up every day with the armor of God.